Hello, 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 and welcome to Canqueer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith, and uh, joining me today on the call is uh, Sebastian. How are you doing today? Mm, there we go. Now I can hear you. <laughs> did you mute me by accident? I did. I muted you. Oh. You know what it was? It was because I was turning down our intro track, and uh, I forgot that you <laughs> you go with it. So that's uh, mea culpa. I am so sorry about that. Uh, little on little. My gosh, let me take a hot second to put my teeth in here. A little. Oh, here we got third time's the charm. A little later on, there we go. Uh, we will be. You can fix it in post. Don't worry. Yeah, 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 yeah. No one's <laughs> listening live, surely. Um, but no, a little later on, we will be having a great conversation with the folks over at Rainbow Railroad. Now, I was actually just mentioning to Ken Stowell, who longtime listeners of CIUT would know who that is, uh, about the sort of really beautiful, rich history that Canada has in terms of. LGBT refugees and, and sort of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're really a global leader in 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 that regards. So I'm I'm personally very much looking forward to uh, to our conversation happening a little bit later today. Um, yeah, what about yourself? Are you excited for for that conversation? Oh sure, yeah. We we've been uh, talking with um, the Rainbow Refuge on and off for years. It's uh, it's always good to you know get back in touch. Excellent. Well, I want to start off with um, some British news, actually. Just, uh, oh. Uh, yeah. So the last weekend was London Pride. Uh, mm -hmm. So some of the folks may have, been, may have seen the Netflix series Heartstopper. Uh, the, the key cast members were spotted very lively uh, in London Pride. It was the sort of first big European Pride event, uh, you know, well, first big British one, sorry. Uh, in mm -hmm. a number of years as a result of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, so, But what was really interesting was the to in and froing that they did vis-a-vis -vis police participation in Pride. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where we have spoken a lot about police participating in Pride, in uniform, yeah. out of uniform. Um, you know, then you've got scenarios where Pride organizations are outsourcing security to private security firms. We saw that to a degree in Toronto uh, for mm -hmm. their events. We taught, saw that to a larger degree in New York City for uh, for their Pride events. And the reason why I think I wanted to bring it up is because of how important local cultural context is. Mm, yes. Absolutely. Yes. And we've been over this uh, many times in many ways that uh, at least on paper, I'm very for having the there it's good to to symbolically show that you know the, the first responders in your communities support you but i also think uh if your local police have not really risen up and actually done a good job of, of dealing with the community then yeah for sure they, they they should probably not be there so there's certain cities in canada where it's very disappointing to find out that the police are not welcome and there's other cities where it's very disappointing to find out that the police are and it really is completely and totally depe dependent on the local history and something that you and I like we we've disagreed about some of the details but we always land on the fact that like Toronto is not doing well so uh, that much we do agree on and Vancouver is doing quite well so you know whenever I hear about the police being at Vancouver I'm very happy because they've worked very hard at trying to uh, be accountable not only for their their past but also any recent events they they tend to do a much better job than most cities in Canada at, at being accountable for uh, what happens under their watch. So, I mean, that it's 
it's very speckled, I guess. Mm. Maybe um, buried? Dis- disparate, maybe? I don't know. We'll find yeah, the right yeah, word. Mean, I'm using painting terms for yeah, some reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that works. Um, anyway, so the reason why I want to bring it up is because uh, London has been sort of a, a major focal point of a number of interweaving stories. Um, and uh, I think this is where context is absolutely, uh, you know, really key. So mm-hmm. the first thing I wanted to know is that both London and Toronto had mm-hmm. a uh, gay serial killer that, uh, you know, identified and then killed several gay men um mm-hmm. i'm not going to mention the killer's name here for the toronto area um but uh in the uk it was uh, stephen port who murdered at least four young gay men uh, mm-hmm. in britain that was anthony walgate gabriel Kovari, daniel whitworth and jack taylor um over mm-hmm. the course of about 16 months now there was an inquest in 2021 that was anything but polite to how mm-hmm. the uh, London Metropolitan Police had investigated this. Likewise, there was a, I believe, a judge's report on to how the Toronto Police had investigated uh, the string of murders uh, here, uh, and mm-hmm. equally as scathing in terms of, of how police handled that. So right, this yes. inquest found that there were failures which cannot be overlooked, and uh, one of the victim friends of one of the victims accused the... Uh, Metropolitan Police Service in London of institutional homophobia. Now, oh. uh, as a result, the interna- uh, international, that's the wrong word I'm looking at here, the Independent Office for Police Conduct uh, mm-hmm. in the United Kingdom is now reinvestigating the Metropolitan Police's investigation into this. Um, so that uh, that's sort of their independent police uh, monitoring body. No, that's really interesting because everything that I've ever read keeps showing that the Metro are some of the most progressive police in the world. Is that just window dressing, do you think? Do you think oh, that's no, just really no, good it marketing? Is, it is absolutely, absolutely far from that. So okay. just, this, just in the past week, uh, Her Majesty's Independent Inspectorate of the Constabulary Fire and Rescue Services, which is essentially an independent overview body for the various mm-hmm. uh, large police services in Britain, uh, has essentially put the Metropolitan Police under special measures as a result of serious or critical shortcomings in the force. So essentially, it's been considered not fit for purpose, and that purpose hmm. is policing. Uh, so it, the you know government bodies are now investigating it uh, because they're just not up to up to standard. So I also I also remember a couple of years ago there was a case of uh, there was a, a serial rapist who's going around raping men. And the police yeah. paid no mind to it until I think there was a threat of a class action lawsuit. At the last minute, the police were like, oh, no, no, we're looking into it. I believe that was like 30 or 40 separate rape cases yes. that, were made, that yes. we, we were made aware of. And we were yes. only made aware of them because the individual kept uh, yes. Uh, trophies. Yes. Um, well, they, the that was the number of victims who stepped forward. And from the trophies, the police guessed that they only weren't capable of naming half of them. So, I mean, it was mm-hmm. prolific. But I mean, it and... was the most prolific rapist in London for a very long time. Yes. Uh, but yes. Uh, he was targeting men, and uh, the the police response was uh, lacking, to say the least. Yeah, so it was chilled. In, yeah. In, in the United Kingdom, you've got a murderer that gets away with killing four men over the course of sixteen months. Uh, mm-hmm. with the police service accused of institutional homophobia. We then have a series of multiple other scandals at the London Metropolitan Police uh, over the course of uh, a year or so. Chrysander Dick, the former chief commissioner of the London Metropolitan Police, uh, resigned 
uh, about a month or two back. Uh, and now the uh, independent government body has put special measures on the London Metropolitan Police as a result of that. Now, this is all very important uh, context, because mm -hmm. when you see Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, saying, you know, we can't take our rights for granted, that, you know, working with institutions of authority is you know, something we need to work on. When you bear in mind how the London Metropolitan Police has interacted, uh, with the community or being accused of institutional homophobia, for example. Uh, this mm -hmm. is hardly surprising. So when London Pride asked the London Metropolitan Police Service to march but not in uniform, mm -hmm. and just for our listeners, essentially the logic behind the not in uniform versus in uniform is when you're not in uniform, it's supposed to be the individual. And yes. the Pride organizations will never stop individuals from marching in in the Pride Parade to represent themselves. Yes. But when you're wearing a uniform, you're representing the institution that that, rep that, that uniform depicts. And, and the state to a certain degree as yeah, well. And the authority of the state, yeah. absolutely. So a lot of Pride and, organizations have, have ruled out uniformed police as a yeah, result of that. But they also want to support um, officers who openly serve as well. So it's not just about having allowing individuals to march, but specifically supporting uh, openly LGBT officers in their careers and also understanding that like the best change comes from the inside and we need to, you know, encourage and support these people. So it's even in that context, I mean, like, as I was saying earlier with different cities in Canada, there are cities in Canada where people are saying, yes, but it is bad enough that we're willing to overlook that until the, the police force cleans up their acts. I mean, it's, it's mixed. It's very nuanced. And we've seen some people make astonishing efforts. Like, I believe Hamilton oh, yeah. Police have done, oh, yeah. uh, you know, have really pulled their finger out to kind of focus on how to rebuild that relationship. It is mm -hmm. unfortunate that often these relationships become so frayed between the community and the institutions of policing that, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it hits these crisis points before people think about maybe the value of relationship building there. But mm -hmm. I'm not in charge of policing, so I can. You know, it's, uh, there's only so much I can do here from the from the pulpit. So it's uh, I don't know. I think it was yeah. really interesting to see all of these different stories overlapping about uh, you know police being asked you know relatively last minute to not be in uniform. It's worth noting that in London Pride, we had the Queen's Guard marching with the full band in full red uniform dress. Uh, so, you know, you may see them outside Buckingham Palace, so those folks with the, with the red army uniform. We saw mm -hmm. the, the British Armed Forces in various contingents marching with, uh, with uh, all of their military dress. So it wasn't necessarily a ban on uniforms, but it was a ban on the Metropolitan Police Service marching in uniform. Specifically, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. And I think that that's worth, uh, worth noting. One of my favorite contingents was actually CSIS. <laughs> who marched in the Ottawa Pride? Really? Yeah, yeah. Do you not? Were you not there for that? When, when the, the spies all marched and G, not GCHQ, the Canadian equivalent of Signals Intelligence. I forget the name, uh, which is good for them, I suppose. But yeah, they uh, they marched. Well, surely as well. these would have been the analysts and not the spies themselves. That would be like going to a ninja parade where it's just an empty street for half an hour. <laughs> I don't know if it was the actual spice, but CSIS had a float 
Um, and, uh, they, I don't know if they had a float, but they definitely had a marching delegation. So okay, I don't know if they were, if the the Russians and the Chinese are just taking a photo of who shows up for the pride parade to, uh, to figure out uh, who. The I'm willing to are. bet it was all the statisticians because I know that CSIS poaches statisticians from Stats Canada all the time. So yeah, I, it's probably just math nerds. Okay, well either way, <laughs> it, it it tickled me pink. To, uh, I mean, you're right. It, yeah. It's still funny. It, it's I'm, I'm not denying that. It's definitely funny and cute that that you know the Canadian spy organization marched. Um, but yeah, obviously. I mean, even you know undercover undercover cops. Actually, uh, two undercover cops in Ottawa marched in the parade as well. But uh, police are usually undercover in a separate city. So, uh, but anyway. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll jump to our first track. I did just want to wrap up because I forgot to mention that about 40 activists from the lesbians and gays supporting the migrants uh, staged a die-in, which is where they all just dramatically collapse onto the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. And they effectively blocked the Metropolitan Police contingent uh, from marching through for about uh, 23 minutes. So hmm. it actually led to some some on literally on the ground uh, activism uh, during during the Pride Parade. All right, this is our first track. We're going to be jumping over to uh, what do we have lined up. I gave everything by Ryland James, and we will be back just after this. <laughs> If I say what's on my mind Can I trust you to be honest with me? I must confess that I lose myself Every time you kiss me I know I go too far When I fall, I fall so hard I wanna love you but don't wanna lose me Cause every time I dive in deep I give, I give everything I wanna love you But don't wanna lose me Cause every time I dive in deep I give, I give everything for you For you, for you, for you I wanna love you Don't wanna lose me I know I can't go my tongue with you I could drop but it's no use I keep, I keep overthinking That just leads to overdrinking Feelings for you start to sink in That they're sinking I
Hello and welcome back to Cancri, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, yeah, I'm just seeing uh, you You were messaging me during the, the song break there about yeah. Subwoofer Sub having released uh, a new track. It was very tempting to, to drop <laughs> a Subwoofer track into the, uh, into the mix here. But uh, they're Norwegian, they're not, uh, they're not Canadian, so that's, uh, that is just what it is. Well, there's actually a, a small story kind of coming out of Norway that could have tied into it. it. It's, I mean, this is the kind of thing you can make a segment out of, but the, the short version is that uh, media and social media now has to indicate if images have been digitally altered. So it's, if there's been any touch-ups for like skin or shape or, or face, facial shape or whatever, uh, you actually have to indicate it with a warning now in Norway. And this could go in multiple directions. We'll see how it turns out. I, I think it could be weird and like weird top-down state overreach, or it could be incredibly important and it's something that the rest of the world does. I don't know. It depends on how they execute it. Depends on how it turns out. Um, the notice has to be about 7% of the footprint of the image, though. So that's that's not the kind of thing you could ignore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a pretty decently sized uh, footprint. Yeah. Uh, now, one of the stories I wanted to, to mention this week before we, we have our our interview coming up in about uh, 10 minutes now, uh, was around uh, Monkeypox. So oh, yes. we've seen a string of announcements of uh, various organizations, particularly the Americans, sort of landing really large contracts to bring in the Monkeypox vaccine uh, mm -hmm. to, to those that need it. Now, you know, there's been so much talk about, you know, wide distribution of vaccines in the in this age of global pandemic that we're living in. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, for the context here, across the whole of Canada so far as of July 4th, so that's today, uh, mm -hmm. time of recording, um, you know, as of July 4th, there have only been about 300 cases of mm -hmm. uh, monkeypox. Now, mm -hmm. my understanding is that uh, in the United States, they were vaccinating known cases of monkeypox, and they've expanded that now to suspected cases. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how that would, you know, because it's jurisdiction to jurisdiction in Canada, it's sort mm -hmm. of all over the map. Uh, so what I would suggest is to just reach out with your, you know, to your local uh, health provider and see if uh, you can get the vaccine on a suspected case. Uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada secured a very large contract for uh, uh, vaccines um, beginning in 2020, uh, 2023. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's when they're getting the next big batch of them from i think it's a norwegian or a danish company that's making okay. making the vaccines um but where monkeypox is happening is really quebec uh, and mm. i say that because there's 300 cases reported up to today now of mm -hmm. course with things still in the lab there's always a delay but we're all familiar with how this works you know we've yeah, yeah. we've been through a pandemic um so in quebec out of the 300 uh, cases 211 of them are happening in Quebec, um, and then about 77 of them in Ontario, four in British Columbia, and eight in Alberta. So, I mean, if you're outside of those four provinces, you know, still be mm -hmm. be careful with your health and so on. Um, but uh, I think it's what I what I take away from this is we should be cautious, mm -hmm. but not uh, panicked. Is, yes. is really where where I think I would go with this. Yes, yes. I, and 
from what I understand, uh, uh, the monkeypox vaccine is really just the general pox vaccine. That, that there's a vaccine that's been highly successful for smallpox, cowpox, and there's another pox. I can't remember what. Um, and, and I believe they're just using that, which is why they had it locked and loaded. Um, and why they could just like pump it out so quickly. Uh, and it's it's kind of interesting seeing the reaction to this, uh, how quickly everything mobilized. And in this instance, at least, nobody was really suspicious of it because, you know, this is a this is a vaccine with decades of success. It's just a matter of because it is a more traditional style of vaccine and not the mRNA vaccine, it needs to be grown in a very specific way at a very specific speed, which means we can't deploy it quite as quickly. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the reaction of basically just, you know, be careful with skin to skin contact. And it's really at peak infectiousness when you can see it. If you can see it from a meter away, then you know it's peak infectiousness. So it's, it, it's most poxes are, I don't want to see a easy to not get because that kind of undermines the fact that it can rest on surfaces and things like that but it's fairly easy to uh, skirt around if you just go about your business in a very careful way wash your hands you know avoid direct skin-to-skin -skin contact with people who look like they might have infection which we're all used to social distancing so basically what you've been doing for the past two and a half years already just keep doing that and i think that's that's definitely I mean, we're, we're, we're well-trained already on social distancing. And, uh, you know, the number of colds and flus have gone down in the past couple of years because of that. Absolutely. Uh, not standing right up against someone's face anymore. Yeah, breathing on people has fallen out of fashion recently. I think that, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I bet the chewing gum industry is uh, kicking itself uh, as a result of that. But, uh, yeah, so the you're absolutely right. Public Health Canada had already approved uh, Imvamune, Imvamune, I-M-V-A-M-U-N-E, Imvamune. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's like the branded vaccine for uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the pox, um, yeah. which they're using for, for monkeypox. Now, the uh, you know, Minister of Public Health has assured the media and the, uh, you know, the, the provinces that there is sufficient supply. Um, and they've also secured a, a large dose of, uh, not a large dose, a large uh, supply volume yeah. of, of additional supply. So, I mm -hmm. mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty, you know, pretty great news to see that this is being taken seriously. We know that um, a lot of the provinces have been trying to be more proactive, reaching communities mm -hmm. that are, uh, you know, infected by monkeypox at a higher disproportionate rate. Uh, in particular, men that are having sex with men in these communities, but it mm -hmm. absolutely is not exclusive to that community. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I actually, I was honestly holding my breath because I was kind of expecting a bit of a bump in those numbers. Um, oh. You know, from Toronto Pride, you know, literally oh, you know, thousands okay. and thousands of people, um, you know, with, with, how do I say this, skin to skin contact. Yes. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I was just expecting higher numbers, uh, mm -hmm. numbers than that. Not, not in a, uh, an excited anticipatory way, of course. Mm -hmm. In a, in a, yeah. in a real realism kind of way. Um, sort it'll of... be really interesting to see is what happens in Quebec following, uh, Montreal pride, which I believe is in August. 
Um, mm. you know, with a much higher rate of incidence in Quebec, this could be yes. uh, could be something. Yeah. So if you're going into Montreal to celebrate Pride, obviously yeah. just you know continue to do so, but do so in a way uh, that is uh, safe. So mm-hmm. social distancing, avoid skin to skin contact, all yep. of these fun things. Um, so I have been watching uh, the Umbrella Academy recently. Okay. And uh, the lead writer for the Umbrella Academy kind of revealed in some recent media reporting that when Elliot Page came out as trans and sort of transitioned, uh, that the lead writer essentially just rewrote the Umbrella Academy so that it makes sense and was empowering and, uh, you know, has kind of unfolded. I don't know, it's been really interesting to see that transition happen through the program. No spoilers there. I'm not all about, I'm, you know, only a couple of episodes in. Mm-hmm. Um, but this ties to another story that I saw, and that is that the University of Toronto, uh, I'm not sure he's still at the University of Toronto, but the uh, the Professor Jordan Patterson, uh, Peterson, sorry, mm-hmm. who has controversial opinions, uh, mm. has been removed from Twitter for deadnaming uh, uh, Elliot Page on multiple occasions. Now, yes. Dead naming is essentially when folks are transitioning. They have the name that was given to them, um, but then they, you know, they usually move to a name that better reflects who they are. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing happens when people, uh, what's with marry? That's another time that happens uh, mm-hmm. when people change their names. And honestly, I don't know. I mean, being removed from Twitter, I think, is because it's a bit of a dick move. Part mm. of my part of my turn of phrase here, but if somebody tells you their name for you to then choose to give them a totally different name um, that's not a nice polite thing to do well I mean this is why I think uh, what do they call it not phantom blocking something like that Uh, there's there's a process of making it so that the only people who can see what you say are those who are subscribed to you and have all notifications turned on. There's a, a, there's a term for that, and for some reason it has flown out of my brain right now. Uh, and basically what it does is it, it says people who don't know you personally and people who are not immediately in your circle uh, can no longer see you. And I think um, uh, that is sort of like the, the one solution that I'm, I'm all for. Um, Basically, the the end result is the same, that that people who don't want to see you don't see you anymore. Uh, The only reason why I don't like completely alienating people from the platform is, is, you know, it's that old story about, you know, what happens when you cancel somebody? How do you bring them back? How do they how do they apologize? How do they find accountability? How do they uh, if they do change, you know, what what is the what is the road to forgiveness? Um, well, I, so, I mean, wasn't, I, uh, I wasn't able to dig up the actual tweet because Twitter took it down. Oh yeah. Uh, but according to reporting on it, uh, the tweet by Pearson included, uh, you know, essentially insinuating that uh, Elliot Page's surgery had been com- conducted by a criminal physician, mm-hmm. um, and it was sort of a very much a, a very critical in a in a not very pleasant way response mm-hmm. to just an, a promo article about the Umbrella Academy. 
Uh, Twitter then took action, noting that you may not promote uh, violence against or threaten or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious uh, disease, I think. So all of these things are all told. I don't know. I think because we talk about, you know, trans identity relatively frequently, and the thing that I always, you know, land back on is it. it why? Why be so confrontational and unpleasant as to just not use the name that someone has provided you? I mean, it just, you know, from a from a would be Canadian perspective, that seems like the most Canadian way of 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 going about it and just being a bit more a bit more nice. But there we go, c'est la vie. <laughs> All right, we are just uh, being joined now by Dane from Rainbow Railroad. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we were just talking about Elliot Page and, and uh, James Pat Peterson, so always a, a lively conversation when uh, when that when they are involved. Now we had mentioned at the top of the show the idea of uh, our conversation today, uh, which is a petition that Rainbow Railroad uh, wants folks to, to sign and, and uh, make uh, available to the Canadian government. Uh, but before we talk about the petition, do you want to quickly introduce who the Rainbow Railroad are? We're massive fans of your work and have been for years, uh, but um, many of our listeners probably don't know who you are, uh, and then maybe a little bit about your petition and why it's, uh, why it's important. Absolutely, I'd be delighted to. And thank you both for having me. Uh, really, really happy to be here. Um, so Rainbow Railroad is a nonprofit organization. We're based in Toronto and New York City. And our mission is simple. It can be summed up in a sentence. We help LGBTQI people from all around the world escape state-enabled violence and persecution. So in far too many countries, in 70 countries around the world, being a member of the LGBTQI community is against the law. In other countries over and above those, people face socio-cultural, um, persecution or, or persecution from within their families simply for being who they are, for expressing their gender identity authentically, or for loving who they love, quite simply put. Um, and Rainbow Railroad's mission is to, in, in those situations is to intervene. So when people are experiencing unsafe situations, we provide them direct assistance, we provide them with information, counseling, support, community. And when it's all of those things become untenable and those solutions aren't enough, we help evacuate them to safety. And so you introduced our petition to the Canadian government, which you can learn more about by visiting safewayout.ca. So Rainbow Railroad since August of last year has been involved in the situation in Afghanistan. Um, LGBTQI plus people at the hands of the Taliban are seriously unsafe. Um, I think that that probably goes without saying. Women, children, journalists, queer folks, all these people are not safe um, in, in Afghanistan right now. Um, and Rainbow Railroad has been involved in a pan-organizational response to help get people out of that situation and to safety. We've got 300 people right now who are sitting in Afghanistan who we have verified, vetted, they are ready and able to travel right now, right this second, and we are urging the Canadian government to take them. That is what the petition is about. Hmm. What, what would be the level of commitment for the the government other than like accepting them as refugees is there is there any kind of like requirement for us to i mean obviously it's a little bit more complicated than this but to sum it up go fetch them uh is there any requirement for that or is it really just a matter of uh there are already existing methods for them to sort of come out and we are 
really just saying, please accept them when they get here. Yeah, I mean, I could go into the wonky mechanisms that exist for the Canadian government to take these people, Mm -hmm. but essentially it boils down to the Canadian government made a commitment for 40,000 to accept 40,000 refugees from Afghanistan in the withdrawal. 20,000 of those people went to, or, or slots, pardon me, went to people who assisted with our operations in Afghanistan and their relations. Mm-hmm. 20,000 were what's called the humanitarian pathway, which okay. are people who are coming to Canada because they're vulnerable people. Okay. Um, Canada has said that they've maxed out those 20,000 slots. Um, so they've accepted 20,000 people through that humanitarian pathway. LGBTQI plus people were named in within that pathway. Um, and specifically referencing, you know, kind of with a wink and a nudge, Rainbow Railroad's work, which mm-hmm. we really appreciate. But what Rainbow Railroad needed from the government was a direct referral pathway, which is the ability to refer individuals straight to the minister to have them accepted as what are called government-assisted refugees. So that's refugees who are coming in under the government's protection and the government's authority to get them to safety. So far, Rainbow Railroad's been able to bring over 200 LGBTQI plus people into Canada through a, through some convoluted and complex mechanisms. Okay. But to wink and nudge at Rainbow Railroad being available to help without giving us a direct referring pathway into the Canadian government has made our work extremely challenging. Over 5,000, since August 15, 2021 alone, over 5,000 Afghans have reached out to Rainbow Railroad for help. That's an overwhelming number. That's more people than reached out to us in all of 2020 from all around the world in every country combined. It's a huge earth shattering number of people. And we haven't unfortunately received the support from the government that we would have really appreciated to be able to move those people to ultimate safety um, in, in a place like Canada. Um, when LGBTQI plus people were named and, you know, the, you can look at the government's press release, I think from like August 17th saying, we're going to help the LGBTQI plus community we were ready to work with the government to do that. And we're still waiting for that partnership. So, I mean, I think it's worth noting that uh, we, I think one of the first times we first became aware of Rainbow Railroad uh, was around the purge in Chechnya and mm-hmm. uh, sort of the truly exemplary work of Rainbow Railroad working with uh, several organizations in Russia. Many have since been shut down by the, the Russian government, uh, but working with uh, Russian organizations to, uh, help folks flee this this purge in Chechnya. Now, what makes me think about that is, you know, what we heard reported in Chechnya was that uh, people who were suspected of being homosexuals would be rounded up, beaten, forced to name names, uh, and then uh, they would then work their way down their list. But what we're hearing about what's happening in Afghanistan is seems to be at at a, even if possible grander scale you know there was reports to the cbc that the taliban are going door to door looking for interpreters journalists and lgbtq people uh, that the taliban have uh, significant presences at checkpoints going through people's cell phones and other material to identify anything that could possibly insinuate uh, homosexuality uh, so it's that kind of population-wide, you know, crackdown that seems to be happening in Afghanistan compared to, to Chechnya, which was the other, you know, one of the more recent, uh, uh, you know, occasions. You know, do you think that this sort of 
carte blanche approach by the Taliban against uh, homosexuals in Afghanistan is what's driving that massive 5,000 number, the sort of the scale of their operation against LGBT folks? I think it's I think it's a number of things. First of all, what you are reporting right now, what you have said, all of those things are things that we are hearing from the individuals reaching out for assistance for Rainbow Railroad. I'll tell you a very brief story. We had an individual who's now living safely um, in the United Kingdom who reported that on a Taliban agent checked his phone um, at a checkpoint and saw something suspicious on his phone. Nothing, you know, extremely incriminating, but saw something that that agent determined was suspicious. And later on that evening, four Taliban officers kicked down his door, beat him and burned his passport just on suspicion that he could be a member of the LGBTQI plus community. Um, you know, extremely troubling. And that's one instance. There are 4,999 more just like that. And so I absolutely think that the level of persecution being faced by the LGBTQI plus community in Afghanistan has resulted in many of these people reaching out to organizations like Rainbow Railroad, but also other organizations all around the world desperate for assistance, um, really, truly in need uh, of assistance. When and, and the other part I think that's driving these requests is that governments have signaled the UK has done so the uh, US has done so, Canada has done so, saying we are going to help the LGBTQI plus community. And the reason why our petition, and you, again, you can visit safewayout.ca to learn more. The reason why our petition is so important is because what we're asking is not something that the government hasn't already promised. We are actually asking people to join us in holding the government accountable to the promise it made to help the LGBTQI plus community, because it clearly, if there are still thousands of people in the queue, the need is still present. And I would purport that as a, as a global North country, as a country that is regarded as a safe haven for LGBTQI plus persons that put LGBTQI plus in its press release in August, 2021, saying we're gonna help the queer community. I would argue that we can do better than what we have done so far. We are not asking for the moon. We're saying we've got 300 people ready to go. And in fact, the special committee on Afghanistan, um, uh, which just concluded, uh, it, it met over the course of the early part of the spring and into the, into the early summer, actually listed that specific, those specific 300 people. I think it's the 36th recommendation of that report is help those 300 plus LGBTQI plus Afghans who are ready and waiting for travel. It's in the report to the government and we're still waiting for the government to take, take some action there. Um, I wonder, I mean, it, sorry, go ahead, sir. I was just gonna say it, it comes off as a little bit cynical then. Uh, this is something we've seen for a few other issues. Uh, sometimes it seems that way and then later on there's follow-up reports that say, uh, no, it was just poorly phrased in the first place. But it does seem to be that helping the LGBT community, both nationally and internationally, is almost like a chess piece on their marketing board. Like, they say they're going to do stuff in order to seem a certain way, um, and then when it actually comes down to it, they either do a very poor job of it, fob it off onto somebody else, or just do nothing. Yeah, I would say, look, in response to that, what I think I, I can say is that the government made a targeted effort to help mm. LGBTQI plus people. Yeah. But, but what Rainbow Railroad does 365 days a year with thousands of people is support the queer community. That mm -hmm. is our expertise. Mm -hmm. We are the only organization that does our work in the way that we do it in the entire world. 
And so what we're telling the Canadian government is we are ready to work with you. This is an easy win. We are ready to work with you to help you in your mission to help LGBTQI plus people most effectively Mm -hmm. because we have 15 years of practice doing it Mm -hmm. and we are experts. And so that's what we're offering. And that's what we're asking people to join us in requesting is allow us the opportunity to use our expertise to help the government in its mission to help LGBTQI plus people. We are experts. We don't necessarily expect the government to be, but what the government can do is use civil society organizations like Rainbow Railroad or for other vulnerable populations like Journalists for Human Rights and mm-hmm. other uh, you know, really fantastic organizations that have specific expertise in dealing with a targeted population. Let ref- Give those organizations the power to refer. Um, that doesn't exist. The Canadian government's only referring partner is the UNHCR, which also doesn't have specific expertise in dealing with sub sub uh, communities who are particularly vulnerable, like the LGBTQI plus community. Although they do try, they really do try. It's it's all we do. Whereas that's just one very small subpopulation of what they do. So, what uh, you know, I think it's worth remembering that Canada is truly exemplary on the global stage when it comes to working with LGBT refugees. I mean, it, we are, if not the, the, the you know, largest net importer, I don't think import is the right word, the largest net recipient of LGBT refugees, uh, if not, you know, must be top five. And I think where I'm sort of hoping for a bit of insight from you is, it seems like this petition is geared towards the government channel for refugee resettlement. Whereas one of the long-standing strengths of the Canadian refugee system, and really what is what makes it exemplary, is the private sponsorship, where groups of six can sponsor somebody, and it kind of creates that uh, smoother transition to settlement all across the country, because these sponsorship groups happen, you know, coast to coast to coast. So how does your efforts with this petition sort of uh, fit into the mosaic overall and, you know, these sort of other ways of bringing in refugees? Yeah, that's a really insightful question, actually. Um, And you're right, because Canada's, the the U.S. currently, they've just, the population, the Bureau for the Population of Refugees and Migrants just released notice that they are actually working on scaling a private sponsorship program in the States. It is based on Canada's. Uh, so we do a really good job. We are the best in the world, I think, I, you know, pretty proudly when it comes to private sponsorship programs. Uh, the Rainbow Refugee Assistance Program, which was just made permanent, but was actually put in place, I think, in 2011 by the Harper government, made permanent, I think, in 2018 um, under Trudeau, uh, is a private sponsorship program that specifically focuses on targeting LGBTQI plus refugees. Uh, One of the reasons that that program can't really apply in this situation is, first of all, Rainbow Railroad has about 18 private sponsorship applicants that are in backlog, some of whom from 2019 uh, are are still awaiting, 2019 and certainly from 2020, who are still awaiting resettlement under the private sponsorship program. Again, we've got the teams in place, we've got the funds in place, and it's just there's such a significant processing backlog that every organization is experiencing significant delays. And so the people who are reaching out to us for support in Afghanistan, the situations you're detailing, going through checkpoints, having to change addresses on a daily or weekly basis because they're not safe, they cannot wait eight months to to 16 months of processing time, which is required 
for private sponsorship. And in fact, the first tranche of individuals I, I referenced that we've brought 200 people over were brought in under a, a similar program to private sponsorship. It took us a team of 60, six zero lawyers, um, eight months to fill out the applications and get the paperwork necessary. And we are only just finishing up that resettlement pipeline now from August of last year. And we're saying that that, that was really dangerous and it took a ton of resources. We had to invest in over 65 safe house environments in neighboring countries for people to get to, to hold for safety. While they were there, we had to pay for everything for them. We had to pay for their food, their clothing, their shelter, their basic necessities because they left literally often with backpacks or suitcases. Mm -hmm. And so that is, we are willing and able to continue to do that. And we are saying that we can and should do better than that for people who are in emergent need right now and there needs to be an emergency pathway it shouldn't just be the existing one i mean yeah for sure it, it from a logistical point of view if not a bureaucratic point of view it makes sense that it wouldn't just be a waltz across the border but there, there comes a point where you just say this is this is beyond what makes sense you know yeah. Yeah, and we're willing to do we've done the work you know they've yeah. got we've paid for their visas we'll pay for their plane tickets we're so we have the the resources in the bank to pay for them to get here mm -hmm. and I wanna, we are i want to emphasize you know rainbow rainbow it's not rolling around in large vats of money here it's uh, <laughs> you know, very much supported by uh donations private donations i saw that you've partnered up with tom daly recently uh, I believe mm -hmm. that he's uh, his one of his new lines of clothing is going to be uh, a fundraiser for Rainbow Railroad. Really cool to see that happening uh, internationally. Yeah. But for folks who want to do something beyond signing the petition, and of course we'll give them the website address of the petition in a second. Uh, but what else can we do? Because I was talking to a young man from the Ukraine recently who's stuck there as a military age serving, uh, you know, individual. Um, there's almost a sense of helplessness with with folks all around the world where where there's not much we can do from our living rooms in in you know in Canada. Um, but what can we do? What, you know, where can we go to help? How can we support Rainbow Railroad? Yeah, that's a really fair question. First of all, signing the petition is helpful. Um, but while you're there, take a look through the website. We've just published our 2021 cumulative report where we detail all of our data and all of the insights into our work all around the world. Take a read of that. Um, because the first thing I would say, beyond of course the obvious, donations are extremely helpful. Our mission is powered, our average donation is $33. So our mission is powered by people making a $33 contribution at a time. That is what, five Starbucks coffees? Um, and it can, it can really help you raise millions of dollars that way. And you're right, we're not rolling in money, but we know our community will stand behind us and stand strong when we've got opportunities. So if you're willing and able, donations are helpful. And that report details why. But beyond that, education is actually really valuable and really important. Um, not enough people know about the global situation impacting LGBTQI plus persons. Not enough people are aware that we are currently sitting right now in the largest refugee crisis in world history. Not enough people know that. And so I would urge people to read a little bit through our website or through others, get educated. You can follow us on social media at Rainbow Railroad. 
and you can continue this kind of valuable conversation. And if donations are beyond your capability or capacity at the moment, and you don't have time, look, I know we're U of T students, right? We don't have time to volunteer, but staying educated, amplifying, hitting retweet can be the action that it takes to make one more or two more people aware of these issues and can actually make a meaningful difference. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us and spending a bit of time to explain uh, the great work that Rainbow Raywald is doing. Uh, like I said, me and Sebastian have been big fans for, for many years in terms of uh, the fantastic work uh, that, you folks have, uh, that you folks have been doing. I, I so appreciate the opportunity to come here and speak with you about the petition. Um, thank you very much for amplifying and signal boosting it. Thank you for your, for your words of encouragement and support and for your awesome questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll uh, we're going to keep going uh, with the with the ten minutes after the show. But uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I'm sure we'll promote other things as they come along as well. Cheers. Thank you very much, both. Thank you for joining. All right. So moving on, uh, I saw an interesting tweet recently, and uh, I think it speaks to sort of uh, faux outrage. And I think that that was sort of a, a little bit of where I was going with the Jim Peterson. Uh, mm. uh, James Peterson. I'm going to get the name right in a second. Uh, story uh, <laughs> earlier, and that was there is a bank in the UK called the Halifax Bank, very famous for having a, a, a mascot that uh, that's very well known. And essentially, mm -hmm. somebody was complaining about uh, the name tags, which has yes. he, her, hers, um, um, he, him, hers, her, and they, them. Um, yeah, they're pronouns. Yeah, like, I know. I know pronouns. I will get there eventually. Um, anyway, and uh, someone essentially said uh, that you know they were hoping that this was just a joke or parody that someone's got their pronouns on their name tags. Mm -hmm. You know, that's uh, maybe I should just show close my bank account and go somewhere else. Um, and the thing that's really jumped out, which has caused a bit of a media stir, is Halifax's response to it, which is, and I'll I'll quote here. Hi, I'm Lee at Halifax. We strive for inclusion and equality, giving our colleagues the option the option to add their pronouns on their badge. Helps to create an inclusive environment for customers and colleagues. Um, and yeah, essentially, they went on to say, if you disagree with the values, you're welcome to close your account. And mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's, that's it. You know, if you're outraged by somebody having a pronoun on a name tag, go somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a small thing that uh, it, it sort of amplified into this this big uh, mountain of a, out of a molehill. Uh, mm. And I think they've got the right approach. If this is, if you're upset by he and him and her and hers, mm -hmm. <laughs> get them right, um, then just walk away, open up a bank account somewhere else because it is ridiculous. Yeah, I've actually been following this uh, story and it, it turns out that quite a few have uh not so much a few of the people who did they said it wasn't so much about uh the pronouns themselves but rather the response from the bank that it was just if you don't like it leave and they said uh and the the one article that i read it was actually people who own a small business um and they said uh when you're dealing with a bank and they say don't like it leave uh, if you don't like it then you can leave they said it kind of doesn't matter what it is that's just bad customer service so some of the reaction is is based on that based on sort of um the kind of things that small business owners want to see in the bank that they deal with and some of it uh is the backlash to the actual politics behind the statement as well it, it's kind of a mixed bag 
obviously it's more the second one than the first one. Uh, but it has been kind of a, a strange and interesting uh, fallout. And there's been another bank, I can't remember which one, but there was another bank who said, if you pull your money out of Halifax, uh, don't think that we're not going to say the same thing to you or something to that tune. Um, but the UK uh, has as many banks as they used to have coal mines. That's kind of how they dealt with the... Yeah, the... They, they are one of the financial centers of the world. Like, there are yeah. a fair few banks. Less after 2008. <laughs> a couple yeah. of them did go belly up. Um, but... Uh, you yeah. can still pave the road with banks there. So, I mean, there, there's options. So, uh, there, there's, there's going to be somewhere else that they can go to. But, but it is kind of disappointing, though, the way that this is turning into, like, a filter that... Um, uh, it's very dramatic in the States right now. But basically... Places that say one kind of politic and people leave I, that space. I think, I think you and I are on different pages here. My take mm. from the, you know, the Halifax Bank essentially saying, if you don't like it, walk, is literally how capitalism works. You know, they are, yeah. they are a oh, bank. If you 100%. Want, if you don't want to yeah. bank there, bank somewhere else. You are yeah, quite yeah. capable of moving your money. You know, that's not yeah, an yeah. issue. That, that's, but, I mean, it's even bigger than capitalism. It's free market, really. Yeah, it really it's, is. It's literally capitalism. Capitalism is not the only yeah, yeah. Uh, free market gig in town. So, I but, mean, it... it yeah. The context I'm bringing this up in, in that, you know, take it or leave it, you know, you have your own choices to make. And yep. I, the reason I bring that up is because there was a more in common survey of about 5,000 people. And the goal of this survey is to, you know, ask controversial questions, get an understanding of where people are sitting. And mm -hmm. one of the things that this survey found is <laughs> that most people's instinct when it comes to trans people in Britain is meh, live, live, yeah. live. <laughs> You know, yeah, not yeah. really, you know, yeah, okay, whatever, that works for me if it works for you. I don't yeah, know, yeah, yeah. kind of undecided, really. I don't hold a strong opinion on it. And only about 30% of the population surveyed had any kind of disagreement with uh, mm. the, the positions on on uh, trans folks being, you know, uh, you know, trans men being men and trans women being women. Um, mm -hmm. But the reason I bring this up is that a lot of the media reporting seems to be pitting these two sides against each other. And yeah. in fact, the vast majority of people are just meh. Like, yeah, you know, if it if you do you, you do you yeah. is yeah, yeah. is the is the overwhelming vibe uh, out I, there. There's not I really as controversial wish, as we think. I really wish when they when they did these surveys that they would uh, explode it out a little bit more and ask a few more questions. Because things like you know, do you think that someone should lose their job, lose their housing, lose uh, health care uh, because they're trans? I think you'll find that even a lot of conservatives are like, no, that's not right. But then you you bore down into specific questions like, you know, are you comfortable with trans people uh, using the bathroom they're most comfortable with or something? You, you'll get a lot more variation. And what's mm -hmm. happening is people are sort of lumping it all together and not acknowledging like there are trans people who disagree with some of the activists where they're saying like, I disagree with that particular political point that you're trying to push. So I think it's, I, I do wish that there's a little bit more nuance and they used to do that uh, with homosexuality in the two thousands. They would say things like, you know, if you had a neighbor or coworker who was gay, would you respectfully say good morning to them as you pass them? Uh, versus like, do you think uh, same sex marriage should be legalized? And you would get very different numbers on the two of them where people basically said like, no marriage is special, but like, 
a very high number of people were like, if I had a gay coworker, yeah, I would work with them, whatever. It's a workplace. I don't care. So that sort of nuance, uh, I, I, I know some people don't like that. They say, you know, there, there's no point splitting hairs, homophobia is homophobia, but it, it does get you an understanding of where progress needs to be made. Are there fights that need to be fought? And are there fights that you're just losing um, even among people within that group, because like there were even gay people who were against gay marriage, and they they were fine with civil unions. They're like, let the churches do marriages, let the state do civil unions. We don't need to force that. And there there were disagreements on that, even within the community. Despite being homos, we're not homogenous, and I think yeah. that's the the key takeaway. Well, we Fancy. have run out of time. We'll be playing out with "I Wanted My Heart to Break" by Teddy, incredible Montreal artist. I have been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. I don't feel lonely anymore. And it's kind of hard to get used to. I don't check on you anymore. We don't keep in touch. Now I'm used to it. They said. They told me you'll get better and it did. They say you don't cry forever, but I doubt it. They told me you'll be better and it is But now I'm kinda sad cause I thought that me I didn't want the pain to fade Cause I thought that it